Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 20th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And it was a busy weekend this weekend. Lots of uh, ranked teams losing uh, to unranked teams. Number two, Michigan lost uh, to unranked Wisconsin. Number seven, Kansas lost to unranked West Virginia. Number eight, Texas Tech lost to unranked Baylor. Number 20, Oklahoma lost to unranked Texas. Number 25, Indiana lost to unranked Purdue. So five different ranked teams lost to unranked teams. And there's now a four-way tie at the top of the Big 12 between Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas State. We're going to get to some of that, perhaps most of that, plus Kentucky's win over Auburn before this podcast is done. But I did want to start uh, with the biggest game of the weekend, and that was Virginia at Duke. It was a rare matchup between a team ranked number one in the AP poll and a team ranked number one in the coaches poll. R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson combined for 57 points. Duke wins 72-70. I was courtside inside Cameron Indoor. Norlander was watching in the CBS Sports HQ studio in Connecticut. So let's just start here. Norlander, uh, how impressive was Duke's win over Virginia, a win that came without the services of Trey Jones? A lot more impressive than you showing up without a stethoscope on the sideline. As I scanned in the early minutes of the first half and looked for for Gary Parrish, Gary Reginald Parrish, no, nothing to be found. It was a letdown. What do you I didn't mean to, to, I realize I let people down, and that's something that I'm going to have to deal with. I know. Listen, we're about we're about at license revoking stage here. You've got a misdiagnosis. You tell the public, a trusting podcast listening public, devoted, that you're going to show up and rock the doctor gear in Cameron Indoor. And you know what? I thought, I thought, okay. If he doesn't, if he can't get the stethoscope, I get it. It's not like Duke has this world-renowned medical school with 3,000 <laughs> stethoscopes nearby. I, I, I understand all that. Like, it, it, it's whatever. But he's going to make up for it, and he's going to sprint across the court at halftime with the rest of the Duke managers. But you know what? You didn't do that either. I really had a terrible ga- uh, day, a terrible game day. <laughs> it, was, it was not ideal. Uh, as for the actual game, uh, really fun to watch. I thought Virginia was going to take it. And then, uh, ironically, Duke goes on and finds a lot more success with this group. Uh, obviously, last season, one of the biggest themes with Duke was its inability to play man-to-man defense and needing to go to the zone and having inconsistent at best results when doing that. Here, a bit of a curveball. Virginia shot terribly from three-point range. Duke also shot terribly from three-point range. The teams, I think, combined to be 4 of 29. I don't have the stat sheet in front of me, but it was something like that. 4 of 29, 5 of 29, 5 of 30, something something in that range. And if we had been told going in that Duke was only going to make two or three out of 14, 15, 16 three-pointers it was going to take against Virginia, I think we both would have said the Blue Devils would lose that game, but Virginia seemed to match them there. I... And not really taking much off Virginia, period. Going into another team's building, I know that Trey Jones wasn't on the floor. And I know that Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett proved that, by the way, they can carry their team to a win against almost anyone. I know the home court has an effect on this, but for them to combine for 57 points and really just uh, pull the load for the most part for Duke, I think is no small thing. But Virginia was able, if you really watched what they did throughout the whole game, the way they were able to, to get points on the interior, and I think athletically, physically, they matched up with Duke even better than I was expecting. I thought that was a positive gain overall. I can't wait for these teams to have a rematch in Charlottesville now, 20 days from when we're recording this podcast. Podcast. Uh, good on Duke, and it brings a little more interest here. Obviously, we have both undefeated teams going down in the same day. Someone on some podcast predicted that about six weeks ago with Michigan and Virginia losing and ending that, but uh, no no shakes at Virginia, and I know that you have not dropped them in your top 25-1 and one, uh, 
maybe at all. I forget where they were before it started, but I know that. Uh, but you didn't take it out on them too much there. No, I didn't. Um, which has Duke fans like uh, they 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 fired up on this Sunday. I before yesterday's games, I had Duke down to number seven because remember Duke did lose at home earlier in the week to to Syracuse, and yes, it was without Cam Reddish and they lost Trey Jones very early, but that's still a bad loss. Like if you would have told Vegas. Um, Cam Reddish is not going to play. Trey Jones is only going to play six minutes. Put a number on Duke-Syracuse. Duke would have still been favored in that game. And so I do think the context matters. You have to take that into account. You have to understand that Duke was down basically two of its best four players um, when it lost to Syracuse. But it doesn't mean that the loss doesn't count. It doesn't mean that the loss didn't happen. It doesn't mean that the loss isn't on their resume. And so I, I did ding Duke a little bit for that. So I had him down at seven. I had Virginia at two. And then obviously Duke uh, beats Virginia 72-70. But Virginia was a three-and-a-half-point underdog. In other words, like this was a game they were supposed to lose because literally everybody is supposed to lose at Duke. And so when looking at it, I was just like, okay, one of my – I don't – I think I actually do call them rules, but it's not really a rule as much as it's a, a guiding principle. I, I don't. Tr I try not to punish teams for losing games that they were supposed to lose, and this, by definition, was that Virginia. Not now. Now, if they lose it by fifteen or even like nine, that's a different deal. But when you lose a one possession game, um, you know, on the road that you were supposed to lose, then I, I just I don't see the I don't see how what happened yesterday makes Virginia any less than what we thought Virginia was uh, on Saturday morning. And so I kept Virginia at number two. You know, I had one Tennessee, two Virginia, three Gonzaga. I've got Duke up to four. And the argument is that, hey, you know, this is the argument from Duke fans. We just beat them. How can they be ahead of us? Well, simply because I think they got a better resume than you. I know you just beat them. Um, you know, do, do, do you, you know, you also just lost to Syracuse. Should Syracuse, you know, be ahead of you? Uh, Baylor just, uh, beat Texas Tech. You know, should Baylor be ahead of Texas Tech? West Virginia just beat Kansas. Should, should West Virginia be ahead of Kansas? Like nobody makes those arguments. So I don't know why you make them at the top of the rankings. To be clear, if somebody's got Duke on an AP ballot on Monday ahead of Virginia, I got no problem with that. It's, it's sensible. You can rationalize it. Um, but I don't think it's crazy to keep Virginia right where I had Virginia. Yeah, no, and Virginia still ranks ahead in some metrics in spite of this outcome. Number one in Massey, number one in Ken Palm still, and only dropping by two. No, no shame in that at all. Um, this is further down the road and something we'll talk about after they have their rematch. But since the committee avoids putting intra-conference teams in the same region in the tournament, uh, if you're a one, two, three, or four seed, if Virginia returns serve in Charlottesville, uh, could have an intriguing battle for who gets the one seed, be it D.C. or Louisville. Um, if Duke wins that game, you would think that Duke will probably have the leg up there. But overall, listen, that was the that was the central game to a loaded Saturday with with plenty of uh, of interesting results. Obviously, a few of which we're still going to get to as Parish Chiefs at the top of the pod. But to get that kind of result and I even think in a loss, not to repeat myself totally here, but with how Virginia played. Now, it wasn't totally to the styling that, that Duke wanted it, for, but I do think that Duke did um, push the pace a little bit. You even saw Virginia on offense trying, you know, with with Hunter, who I thought played pretty well. Um, Ty Jerome was, he was good in spots, and I thought he could have been a little bit better. Same with Jack Salt. Uh, you had Jay Huff early, Parrish. He had a great tweet because Jay Huff had like three consecutive possessions where it was like, okay, this is – 
this is Jay Huff's moment. Like it's gonna go down right now. And then Zion Williamson uh completely Ooh. reminded Jay Huff that he was Jay Huff to quote to quote you. Um and a, a nasty swat, which at first looked like a two-handed block, but it was only a one-handed block with the uh, with the left arm and hand up there, just as uh, perhaps a little bit of a of a security blanket. But Williamson on the on the transition play when he had like three four Virginia guys on him and still dunked it and got fouled. Just uh, I mean that's the stuff, man. That is this is what makes not just within the confines of our site, what we write about, this podcast, college basketball, just when you get Virginia and Duke playing that kind of game and then Williamson and Barrett going off like that, just it, you know, it's good for the sport. It just is. And I, I'm hearing a little bit of like Duke is likable this year. I don't think so. I mean, maybe they're more entertaining and you can embrace them more because of this element they have with Williamson and Barrett who had – did Barrett have 30 or 32, something like that? Um, Barrett had – Zion at 27, they combined for 57 of the 72. Yeah, right. Um, I get that, but I, there are still people that live to hate Duke. So I, I'm not buying that this is somehow now becoming uh, a, a team where a lot of people are are completely you know, siding and becoming fans of them. I, I might be misguided in that, but I still think many people listening to this podcast who normally just either hate Duke, don't like Duke, they're still kind of feeling that. And frankly, um, even though we absolutely should be starting with them, uh, we perhaps help feed into that by out of necessity and good story picking, uh, choosing to talk about them all the more. They're the biggest story in college basketball. Zion's the biggest player in college basketball. Like, I'm not going to apologize for hosting a college basketball podcast that spends a lot of time on Duke and Zion Williamson. <laughs> if we weren't uh, doing that, we wouldn't be doing what we were uh, supposed to do. And they were the Sunday, They were the story on Saturday night, undeniably, not just in um, college basketball, but, but in sports. You know, I sort of wrote in an advanced column, like, by the time we wake up Sunday – you know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Jared Goff, they'll be getting all the attention. But Saturday night belonged to Duke, Virginia. And I don't know that Duke played well. I think Zion and RJ played spectacularly, and then Duke won. But the play that you referenced, the coast-to-coast, -coast, was just like, what? Because there were, and, I, and this was sort of the focus of, of most of my column, there were four guys focused on Zion Williamson, right? Clark and Guy. I just realized Virginia's got uh, two guards that that whose last names are Guy Clark. How about that? Yeah. How many how many people you think just understand that reference? Uh, six. <laughs> I think that's probably true. If you don't know, Google Guy Clark. Anyway, so Clark and Guy are chasing him, but they never catch him for some reason. He's got Ty Jerome trying to just stop the ball. He goes around him and wasn't really a crossover, but, like, he got him crossed up for sure. Then he dunks on Jay Huff. You know, even though Jay Huff hits him in the arm, he's just so strong. 6'7", 285. And, like, Coach K was talking about it afterward, and he says, you know, holy mackerel. He's like, I thought Zion was about to, like, dribble the ball off his foot, just lose the ball. You know, because he was going too fast and he was a little out of control. It looked like, and and then he just it, then the way K said he was like, and then it's just boom, boom. You know, and the first boom was the cross, and the next boom was the dunk on Jay Huff. It was just one of those moments where you're reminded, my God, there there is nothing else like this guy because nobody else uh, built that way. Uh, could do that like probably nobody else on the planet and, you know when we start looking for comps there just there is not a good one and that sequence was a reminder of it beyond that I thought the way the game went down and you and I haven't talked about this at all but there was a lot of like little stuff that I thought was super interesting um, Duke decided without Trey Jones that they were just basically gonna make Virginia play one-on-one -on -one. Mm. like they were it was just gonna be lots of isolation stuff it was like we've get the ball to Zion or RJ going downhill and make, 
you know, okay, how do you attack one of the greatest team defenses in the sport? Well, you don't let them play. You you, you make them play one-on-one with you. And th- that is what happened. It, you know, just a game after Duke shot 43 three-pointers, they only shot 14 uh, against against Virginia. They were trying to get to the rim, more specifically trying to get to the rim with RJ and, and Zion. So they only shoot 14 threes, but they shoot 31 free throws. And, um, you know, Barrett gets 19 shots. Zion gets 16 shots. They combine to make 21. Again, combined to score 57. And then on defense, what they decided to do, and Tony Bennett talked about this afterward. He said the way they guarded us is not, there's no evidence of that. Like, it's not on film. They, they don't play that way. In other words, they switched everything, one through five. Because without Trey, they're big at every position. And so they just said, we're going to switch everything one through five. And the goal is to limit clean looks from three-point range. I don't think Virginia just had a bad night shooting. They were three of 17 from beyond the arc. I, I think Virginia didn't get the kind of looks Virginia usually gets because for the first time this season, it faced a team that was switched everything one through five. And for the first time this season, Duke decided to switch everything one through five. And so that was interesting to watch. And when they went zone, you mentioned this, I really thought it 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 messed up Virginia's rhythm. And the reason for that, it wasn't like um, – because because Shashevsky explained afterward, he's like it wasn't like some chess move. You you know why they went zone? They were tired, and he can't take Zion and RJ off the court. So he's like the only way I could get them to just not fall apart is you know go to zone and let them rest on defense a little bit. So it wasn't like let's go to zone because Virginia won't be able to to attack us. It was let's go to zone because we've got to rest these guys, but we cannot take them off the court. Duke only played seven players and uh Zion Cam, RJ and Jack White each played at least 37 minutes in that game. And so th- just there was a lot of like interesting little coach stuff going on between K and um Tony Bennett that I, I thought was just fascinating to watch unfold in real time. Okay, so 79-82-73-83-75-82-77-74-72-91-63. What are those numbers? They are the amount of possessions in games Duke has played dating back to late November. The 63 is obviously Virginia. Duke averages about 75 possessions per game. They were 12 less against Virginia, to little surprise. Obviously, Virginia plays uh, at a tempo that, that, is, that creates the slowest possessions per game on average in the country. But the fact that Duke was so tired speaks so well of Virginia and the way that it makes you play on both ends, but particularly when you're trying to face that offense. And, the, and Duke needing to go to a zone out of fatigue Against that scheme, but also those players, let us lead the charge in, in stating that Virginia has, I mean, this is no secret, they've got potentially multiple NBA players on it. Braxton Key, legitimate athlete, DeAndre Hunter, obviously. Kyle Guy, fantastic five-star prospect and a really good player with a good athlete. Um, uh, Mamadi Diakite, no slouch. I thought he had a solid game. Um, and Jack Salt is a, is a big body down there. Th- these teams are built to bring out interesting facets in one another in ways that against most other teams they'll play 
won't. So that's why, again, I can't wait for the rematch in three weeks. Would love to see if we could get them one more time, at least in the postseason, be it in the ACC tournament, or it would have to be basically probably under Final Four circumstances in the NCAA tournament. It'd be a treat if we got these teams three times in one season. Right. It's very rare for teams to play four times in one season. It has happened. And uh, listen, it's improbable, if only because a lot of things have to break, uh, you know, certain ways. But um, I don't think it's crazy to imagine a scenario where these two teams are playing for an ACC tournament title and then these two teams are playing in a Final Four, perhaps even in a national championship game. Like if you're putting together a list of legitimate national championship contenders, um, Duke and Virginia both have to be on there. And I know Tony Bennett has never been to a Final Four, and I know they lost to a 16 seed last season. That's got nothing to do with this team. You know, this team is rock solid, and they almost, even with Zion and RJ playing the way they play, they almost were able to get a win um, at Cameron Indoor. Like you said, the next game's in three weeks. I believe you'll be there, right? I'm scheduled to be there, yeah. As long as, uh, as, long as things break the right way, I will be in, I will be in Charlottesville. Yeah, so that'll be uh, that'll be terrific. Let's move on. On Saturday morning, there were two undefeated teams left. It was obviously Virginia and Michigan. By Saturday night, there were zero. That's because before Virginia lost at Duke, Michigan lost at Wisconsin. Final score was uh, 64-54, but it was a controversial ending. So there's 59 seconds left. Michigan's down three. And Iggy Brasdakis intentionally fouls Ethan Happ away from the ball because Ethan Happ is a 49% free throw shooter. Let me stop there for a second. I love uh, uh, John Beeline doing this. I mean, we'll get to where it messed up in a minute. But the extending the game, 59 seconds left. A lot of coaches, in fact, I think most coaches would say we're down three. We shot clock still on. Let's just go guard them. I love saying let's let's no let's put the fifty percent free throw shooter on the line and then get the ball back and go score and then do it again. I love extending the game that that far out. So um, I was down with the strategy, even if uh, I, I. So here's what happens. So Bresdakis fouls him away from the ball, and whistle blows, and the refs huddle for about ten seconds. They call it a flagrant one. That's two free throws and possession. And John Beeline's just pissed, right? Uh, because he's saying, hold up, we, we told you we were going to foul. You know what we're doing. That's not an intentional foul. Except it, it you know, it, you know it, like it, it should be a flagrant one. Except my understanding is like it, it absolutely should be a flagrant one. I don't, I, I, I don't even know if it's right to say that. Like, I don't know if John Beeline understood that, that, that there is a rule specifically against what it is he told Iggy Brasdakis to do. Can you make sense of what happened there? I, well, yeah, so he, gets, he tries to, to foul Hap with the ball. They, the refs don't call it in time. Listen, this is clearly the biggest and most egregious miscall of the entire weekend. Am I right or am I right? Um, Saints fans, my apologies to you. But the call is correct, and as it's playing out, as we tend to do, uh, with those who use social media, Twitter in particular, will watch a game, follow reaction real time. Everyone's not everyone, but a lot of people are losing their minds. And I'm thinking, am I, a, am I an idiot, or that that is the absolute correct call? You can't go for someone without the ball intentionally like that. And I don't have an issue with the rule either. Like sometimes we'll have a, a play happen. It's like, well, we hate the call, but it's the rule. No, I like the call and I like the rule. If a player does not have the ball and you are blatantly trying to foul and that kind of, you're intentionally doing it. It should be the call that they made. I like that that call is in the rule book. And then yes, it creates an issue for Michigan. It loses its chance at winning the game. I I don't have an issue with beeline strategy there either. GP. A lot of people don't like it because 60 seconds to go. You're going to keep fouling. You're extending the game. You know what? Every sport has its quirks. 
Free throw shooting, like field goal kicking, is a part of basketball. And sometimes if we have to get to a situation where the final 60 seconds of a game don't match in rhythm, tempo, or strategy from the other uh, from the other 39 minutes or what have you, I, I'm fine with it. If you're going to go to a strategy, you know what? That's okay. Let's see what we can do with that and how things play out. So Beeline was trying to get ahead of it, and then it backfired. Um, but there were other – I mean, listen, to be in that spot period um, – Michigan 17-0 and, and and playing a close game. Wisconsin was due for a good win, uh, and I'll get to them in just a second. But overall, I didn't have an issue with the strategy, nor did I have a problem with the call. Um, according to the rule book, um, a flagrant one personal foul is, quote, a personal foul that is deemed excessive in nature and or unnecessary, but is not based solely on the severity of the act. And listed among the examples of such a, uh, of such a foul is, quote, fouling a player clearly away from the ball, who is not directly involved with the play, specifically designed to stop or keep the clock from starting. I mean, that is exactly what Michigan did. And so what I mean about Beeline is that afterward, he was still protesting, you know, even though, according to the rule book, it, it's like it's undeniable that the, the officials, trust me, when the officials get something wrong, we'll talk about it. Uh, the Like the officials missed that pass interference in uh, Saints-Rams. Like that really just cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, people will be talking about that. But uh, by all accounts, the uh, the officials got this right. So Michigan goes down, and it was really uh, a big win for, for Wisconsin because Wisconsin is not having a good season. It's, it's not, and yet, see, Wisconsin is similar. There are three teams this season, in my opinion, who have – who have remained in solid standing in multiple advanced metrics despite piling up losses early at a at a higher rate than other teams around them. I can guess them just off the I, top of my head. I, I think you can, but okay, go ahead. Wisconsin. Yes. Um, Florida. Not my, okay. That wasn't one of them, but go ahead. Well, like Florida's still twenty third in Kimpom with a ten and seven record. Yeah, I know. They're good in some metrics and they're not in others. I'm talking but like consistently like top thirty standing across all of them, uh who do you think the other two are? One of them mm-hmm. you, you continually give a lot of love to and keep getting blowback on. North Carolina? Correct. Just yeah. they, they took And then the other one is Purdue, um, which has six losses and still is standing well. Wisconsin also has six losses. So when you get a result like this, that, you know, home floor, good team. I'm not, I'm not surprised by it. We both picked Wisconsin on CBSSports.com, I believe. I know I did. I think you did too, Parrish. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, we both picked up Wisconsin to win. Yeah, so we thought that it would win. I... For Michigan to lose, like, you take the loss, whatever. Losses were going to be inevitable. This was big for Wisconsin because it, a loss would have been five out of six. And as a quick aside here, like, Indiana is on a four-game losing streak. Three of its next four are on the road, and the only home game is against Michigan. Indiana has not missed back-to-back NCAA tournaments that were not afflicted by NCAA sanctions since like 0405 it's been a really long time since that program missed consecutive tournaments and you couldn't have pointed to NCAA punishment as part of the reason why now I use in a really tight spot it gets blitzed by hello Purdue high in the metrics and wins easily Wisconsin would have been in a similar boat canoe if you will as as Indiana um, had it lost, but it doesn't. It's pretty critical. It's the biggest win of the season so far, and now Wisconsin is looking at two of its next three on the road, one being at Illinois, the other Nebraska, the home game in Northwestern. Perhaps it can get some some push going forward here. And Ethan Happ and what he did against the opponent he did, I really do feel like that was one of the 10 most impressive performances of the season so far. Um, 
if we if we stopped the season now, I probably would have Hap. I think I would have him as a second team All America, but he's getting closer to first team All America status. One last thing, Paris, and then I'll throw it back to you. Virginia, Michigan lose on the same day. Um, the, I tweeted this out late Saturday night. Here's the past 10 seasons when the teams lost, the last undefeated. Kentucky, 09-10. You already know this, Parrish. Dude, you telling me? Uh, you, you think I don't know this one? I, you know this one. What's the date? What is the date? January 26th. <laughs> That's correct. And who, who, was, who was largely responsible for that? The homie Devin Downey shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester. Kentucky was 19-0. That's right. On the morning of January 26th, they find themselves at South Carolina. Devin Downey gets 30 points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, 68-62, upset. South Carolina wins it. That's right. The next year, Ohio State on February 12th. The year after that, Murray State. February 9th, Michigan in 2012-2013. How about that? Michigan's got two appearances on this. Then, of course, you've got Wichita State in 13-14, got all the way into the NCAA tournament before losing to Kentucky. Who, in the subsequent season, would be the team to go last without losing a game, famously or infamously, depending on your position, losing on April 4th to who? Wisconsin, who was responsible for three of these wins and ending undefeated streaks. Then you had Gonzaga all the way until its last regular season game two years ago, lost to BYU. Last season, I had forgot about this because I was at one of the games where this ended. I didn't realize that they all ended so early. Last season was aberrational. December 30th, Villanova, then TCU, then Arizona State. The final three undefeated teams all fell on the same day, and now we have Michigan and Virginia. What do all of these teams have in common? Like most teams in the modern era, the last undefeated team in college basketball almost never wins the national championship. The only exceptions to this were UConn in 99 and Florida in 06-07. Otherwise, if you are the last one standing without a scar, it does not forebode well in terms of you winning it all. I don't know if I abide by that this season. I'm not saying I'll pick Michigan or Virginia, but I do like their chances from where we stand right now. I certainly think they're both legitimate national championship contenders, but uh, only one team can can win the bracket. And that's I think when people throw out things like exactly like what you just threw out, like, you know, no team that ever done this has ever gone on to win the NCAA. Well, only one team can win that NCAA tournament. So you're breaking think- news there. I know, Paris. Only one team can win. The- <laughs> I had a small chuckle. And you said, well, only one team can win the bracket. Is that so, my friend? That's true. Did you not know that? I was I was unaware. Oh, this, this is amazing! I can't. It, it, we've been doing this podcast for years, and you just—I should have told you this. I should have told you this a long time ago. See, on Selection Sunday, they're going to put this bracket together. It's got sixty-eight teams in it for some reason, and um, then only one team is allowed to win it. Everybody else is considered not winners. <laughs> All right. Anyway, any any other thoughts? On, <laughs> any other thoughts on Michigan, Wisconsin? Nope, not 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 even one more. Kentucky won at Auburn on Saturday, so John Calipari's Wildcats have now won four straight games. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but first, check this out. The world of golf is on hiatus, but thankfully for you, the First Cut podcast crew is not. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we keep you informed and entertained through this unprecedented time. No tournament, no problem. We're still coming at you three times a week during these trying times. 
Tune in as we bring you weekly news, rewatches, interviews, and trivia. What are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. What's up? This is Barton Simmons. And I'm Bud Elliott. And this is the newly formed Barton and Bud Show. If you're looking for recruiting information, college football information, coaching analysis, how all those things intersect and come together, then you're in the right place and this is the podcast for you. This is your chance to eavesdrop on the conversations we have in the 24-7 sports office every week. Subscribe to the Barton and Bud Show wherever you get your podcasts. So Kentucky went to Auburn and won 82-80 on Saturday. Tyler Hero and Kelton Johnson each got 20 points. Auburn made 13 three-pointers, still lost at home. I know you wrote about this game. Norlander, your main takeaway from Kentucky-Auburn. I have two, if you'll allow me. Of course. Okay. The first one is that Auburn is 0-4 against the four best teams it's played this season, and it has more opportunities coming in the SEC. I think it will get some good wins, but not an encouraging sign. And great Great effort by Auburn. It was a fun watch. Barkley's on the sideline. They must have cut to him, no exaggeration, 84 times in the final 10 minutes of this game. Um, But a little problematic. Now, they didn't have Austin Wiley. We have to note that. That came out, geez, Parrish, I want to say like 30 minutes before tip, maybe an hour before tip. So without the key big man, I think that is important. And if he's in the game, completely plausible that Auburn wins it. From the Kentucky side, with what I saw – I thought that this was the most complete game Kentucky had played all season. You can make an argument. Maybe they played a better game, but they've only gotten really good performances out of three, four guys. I thought, for the most part, almost everyone that got on the floor made uh, either consistent plays. A couple guys made critical plays. Even Emmanuel quickly got the key rebound at the end of the game. Now, he only made one or two foul shots, but even still, getting that rebound, not allowing Auburn to get a second chance that would have potentially won it, I thought was big. So if you're a Kentucky fan... I, I, even though it's close, you get that road win tournament quality team. We believe Auburn to be that anyway. And everyone showed up big. Hero had a good game. Higgins remains consistent, even if he doesn't stuff the stat sheet from a scoring perspective. Four of the five starters were in double figures with ease. Uh, P.J. Washington, Reed Travis played off each other really, really well. So positive gains here for Kentucky, which seems like the second-best team, and you can have a little bit of separation in the SEC. They're not quite on the Tennessee level, and those two teams still won't play each other for, like, what, three, three and a half weeks or so. We'll await that game. But overall, big-time positive steps for UK. No question. And so they're now 14-3 and three with losses to Duke, unranked Seton Hall, and unranked Alabama. Um, so that's two losses to, to sub-50 Kenpom teams. And they're still just 3-3 three and three because um, – Somebody fell out of the top 50 that they had already beaten. So even with Saturday's win at Auburn, they're just 3-3 three and three against top 100 Kimpom teams. Boy, Kentucky fans emailing me, I mean, tweeting me every minute of every day wanting to know why I, A, have them as low as I have them, and B, have them behind North Carolina. Um, dude, they're 3-3 three and three against the top 100. There ain't much there. I know, like, Kentucky fans are now convinced I'm biased. I'm like, I had you idiots ranked number one in the preseason. Was I, When did I decide to get biased against Kentucky? Was it like December or something? What do you? I don't know, but when you use the phrase, I had you idiots, uh, I, I figure you're going to be swaying over a lot of hearts there. Just like, calm down. you. <laughs> oh, Parrish is biased. What are you going to bias? What are you talking about? You're three, like, oh, Parrish loves North Carolina, and that's why he has North Carolina ahead of Kentucky. 
North, I like if you want to argue that North Carolina is because people you mentioned this earlier, people are like North Carolina sucks. North Carolina is five spots better in Ken Palm than Kentucky. They've got zero sub thirty losses, where again Kentucky's got two sub fifty losses. They're eight and four against top one hundred Ken Palm teams, where Kentucky's three and three against top one hundred Ken Palm teams. Like somebody gonna have to try real hard to explain to me. What is outrageous about having North Carolina ranked above Kentucky right now? And you know, I, I you know what they'll say. I mean, go ahead. Oh, we beat them on a neutral court. Cool. You also lost to Seton Hall on a neutral court. You mean you, you also are you also arguing I should have Seton Hall above you? Because otherwise, you're being inconsistent. You see what I have to deal with with these people? You're loving. You have to deal- you're loving life right now. Seton Hall, by the way. Lost three straight, including a home loss late Saturday to none other than DePaul. So not a, that 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 hurts Kentucky standing overall. And obviously, as we get a bigger sample size of results, the individual head-to-head matchups lose uh, less importance until it gets you know you have a situation where both resumes are just are just so tight that maybe you use that as the tiebreaker. But you are uh, you are basking in your own boiling pot of personal love. You ticked off Kentucky fans <laughs> and Duke fans. I know things couldn't be greater. That? I shouldn't pick by those two. Like it is funny because when you rank basketball teams every morning or every day of the season, the fan bases that think you're an idiot change like from week to week because it's all based on who, whichever fan base decides you have them too low and you're being disrespectful, then you're an idiot who doesn't deserve their job. A three-year-old could do the job better than, than I could. Somebody said his three-year-old niece knows more about basketball than I do. Let's <laughs> like get, it's, let's it's get her on the podcast. I want, I, want, I want to prove that. It's wild that how uh, simply where you rank a basketball team to – a pretty significant number of people that is how they determine whether you're an idiot or not and like i and, and all of this is based on me having north carolina ahead of kentucky again you ready for this north carolina is five spots better than kentucky and kinpa they have zero sub 30 losses kentucky's got two sub 50 losses they're eight and four north carolina is against top 100 kinpom teams kentucky's three and three against top 100 kinpom teams unc's got five more top 100 wins than Kentucky's got. And let me, again, if somebody else has Kentucky above North Carolina, that's not crazy. I, I won't say that's where my Politex column's coming from, but there is nothing outrageous about having North Carolina above Kentucky, and yet I, there is at least some Kentucky fans who, who seem to think so for whatever reason. Like, do they just not have Do they sell Ken Palm subscriptions and have the net rankings and all that stuff? In Kentucky, they, they allow that in Kentucky, right? Uh, they do, but you also got Seth Davis coming to pole attack you, so you got bigger I problems dare, than that. Dare him. D- dare you, you, you come. You come. I want, I want him to because you know what? No, let's get real here. You have not pole attacked Seth Davis, I think maybe ever, yeah. and I've been yes, waiting sir. for this because occasionally, Seth, we love you, but he tweets out his ballot every Sunday night, and a couple of times there I'm like, you know what, this is the week. Parrish has got to go after him, and you don't. It's time. It's time, I've, GP. I've gotten him before. You Absolutely. have? Okay. It was a very nice, gentle pull the text column, but I did get him because I get accused of that sometimes. Um, like, oh, you stay away from the big names and your friends, and you just go after the guys in, in the small markets. I don't just go after anybody. I look for dumb stuff. And honestly, it, it, it usually comes from the same seven or eight people. It's the same seven or eight people doing the dumb stuff every single Monday. And, yeah, sometimes it's sad, but I have gotten him before. But if he comes to me, I'll come right back at his throat. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, 
Um, rankings are so subjective. You and I can disagree on them. But what you're not going to catch me doing is what I catch other people doing. Like, I catch people who do things that can't possibly be defended. You're not going to catch me doing that. I can defend everything I do. I just defended Kentucky over, I mean, North Carolina over Kentucky. Now, you might listen to me and then go, yeah, but I disagree. I think the head-to-head should mean more. We beat we beat the brains in on a neutral court. Um, I think Kentucky should be ranked ahead of North Carolina. Okay, that's fine. But I can defend North Carolina over Kentucky the way I just did it. And so that's the problem is, like, People aren't going to – I can defend Virginia ahead of Duke right now. Um, so I'm not going to do something that I can't defend. I really do spend more time than any other human on the planet doing this crap. It's it's not even – Parrish, it's not even – it's not even close. It's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Okay, all right. If we want to stay on this, we can, but I do – I want to see if you want to merge something here because I don't know how, how you would assemble and defend – the vortex of a bog, if you will, that is the Big 12 at this point because everyone in the league has two losses. We got five, I mean, everyone in the league has at least two losses. Five of those teams have two losses. It's a total clog. KU loses at West Virginia, and then you think for just a brief moment, okay, well, this is Texas Tech's moment. They can take advantage of here and, and, and not have that loss um, earlier in the week kind of catch up to them. They've got their opportunity. You lose at home to Iowa State. Now you're at a bad Baylor team or a seemingly bad Baylor team. They close the gap late, and then even Baylor pulls away, wins by 11. So take this wherever way you want, but I haven't looked at your rankings. I am genuinely curious where you have Kansas, where you have Texas Tech, where you have Iowa State, and now where you have Kansas State because K-State won over TCU at home, has now won four in a row, and if you want to take this in the micro, has looked better than any Big 12 team has over the past two weeks. There's no question. Okay, so to answer your question, I've got Kansas at 7 now. I've got Texas Tech at 11 now. And I, Kansas State and Iowa State. So basically for 26th, I knocked Oklahoma out because they can't beat anybody anymore for some reason. Um, so I had a spot open, and I was picking between LSU, Iowa State, and Kansas State. And I went with LSU. Um but I could have very e- – like, if I would have gone with Kansas State, I could rationalize it easily. If I would have gone with Iowa State, I would rationalize it easily. And the way you r- could rationalize either one of those, not that you even have to. They're both worthy. But some of their losses that that ding up their resume a little bit came when they weren't playing with their full roster. Mm-hmm. You know, Kansas State was down D-Wade. Iowa State was down, like, half their team. Um, but But – in other words, Kansas State and Iowa State are my first two teams out of the top 25 and one. They could be there um, if, you know, if I'd have just not gone with LSU, either one of them are, you know, could fit there. It's a weird league right now, man. Um, like, like you said, everybody's got at least two league losses. Nobody's got more than four league wins. Um, basically, anybody can beat anybody. That I mean, that's at least what the results of yeah. the game so far. We are about a third away a uh, third, uh, a third of the way through the conference schedule, and at least according to Ken Palm, twelve and six is going to be good enough to win the league title. Like twelve and six, a six loss, uh, a team with six losses in the Big Twelve might actually win at least a share of the Big Twelve title. It's a, uh, it's goofy. It's a goofy league right now. It is quite, it is goofy. I like the way you describe that. I would say goofy is the is the way to describe this. In particular, when you've got. And and I love it, but it's it's bizarre as hell. Like Matthew McConaughey, like revving up the huddle in Texas, which beat Oklahoma. Don't know what's happening in this league. I enjoy it nonetheless. Kansas, by the way, is eight 
Quadrant 1 wins. I think I mentioned that in the last podcast. That's still too better than anyone else in the country at this point. So if you're KU, yeah, the loss at West Virginia, it stinks. Also just a bugaboo in general. KU's dropped... I think five of his past six, maybe it's four of his past five at the Coliseum. That building has got a voodoo over that program, regardless of team and season, it seems, just about every single time. Uh, good for West Virginia just to get off the schneid. That was the worst conference start in Bob Huggins' career, so he gets the win overall. Uh, Iowa State plays at Kansas on Monday night. We both expect Kansas to win. But if Iowa State wins, Parrish, I would implore you to leapfrog them over a few teams because if that happens... There will be maybe one or two teams, maybe, that will have a better triad of victories in college basketball than ISU. It would have a sweep of Kansas, and then it would have the road win against Texas Tech. And even if those teams are not standing as top six, seven teams in the moment right now, even if that is the case, um, considering the venues they will have won two of those three games in and the style in which it beat Kansas originally by 17 points, I think ISU is a top 25 team uh, in, in the way it's playing and the way that it's building toward its resume and a win over KU on Monday I would think would put it almost undebatably in the top 20. But it's got to do it. I don't think it will. But if it did, it would boost up in a major way. I promise you, if Iowa State wins at Kansas, uh, they, will be, they won't just sneak in at 26. They'll, they'll be significantly up there. And really, you look at their resume. So they're 14-4. and four. Um, They've got three sub-40 Ken Palm losses. But one came to Arizona in Maui, and that's when, like, they didn't have their team. Linda Wigginton wasn't playing. Um, when they lost to Ed at Iowa, they did not have their team. Now, they might have lost to Iowa anyway, right? Road game at Iowa. Iowa's good. Um, so you might lose that one no matter what. But then you look at their two league losses. It's a 73-70 loss at Baylor and a 58-57 loss to Kansas State. In, in other words, they were in both games, could have easily won both games. They could very reasonably be sitting here at 6-0 and and with a two-game lead in the Big 12 standings. It's a good basketball team. Um, uh, I, I, like They might end up in the uh, AP Top 25 on Monday. And, like again, that's not where I'll spend my Politex column. I've got them 27 or 28 right now. Um, you know, Steve's doing a great job there, and – that team's good enough to win the Big 12. I don't think there's any question. The other one that's that's hot right now is is Kansas State. Four straight wins uh, to go from 0-2 to 4-2. We talked about them on the last uh, podcast, but uh, since we talked about them, they did not go out and mess anything up. They beat TCU by double digits, and now on Tuesday night, they get uh, Texas Tech at home. Uh, so that'll be another uh, a big game as well. Let's look ahead a little bit because um, there are – Three games on Monday that I think are big. Kansas, Iowa State, we've already touched on that. The other one is uh, – another one is Maryland at, at Michigan State. So it's 6.30 Eastern tip on Monday. Those teams are number six and number 12 in the current top 25 and one. Maryland has won seven straight. Michigan State has won 11 straight. And the winner – of that game is going to be alone atop the Big Ten, uh, alone atop the Big Ten standings. So I think we all knew Michigan State was going to be good. Michigan State is good. Uh, Maryland, people were a little all over the place on. I actually had them in the preseason top twenty-five and one, and for for the simplest of reasons, like they had an experienced lead guard uh, in Anthony Cowan, and and then they had a pro front court, um, and like when you've got that. Uh, why aren't you going to be good? And like we look up here, you know, January 20th, Maryland's good. Maryland is good. It's only losses at home to Virginia. And until the Duke game, no one had 
um, been as proficient on offense against uh, Virginia as uh, as as Maryland was, and now Duke surpassed that. Lost by two at Purdue, and then home to Seton Hall, not great. Again, Seton Hall dropping to DePaul. If it dings a little bit to Kentucky, it does the same for Maryland. But I've watched almost every parts of or, or all of almost every Big Ten game this team has played since the start of the year. I felt I got a little bit ahead of the train when I put him in the power rankings at like 13 or so a couple weeks ago, moving him up again this past week. And they get a real nice opportunity on the road. This is where if Maryland wins this, then it really does step into a – it will be a a moment of true national relevancy for the program. And, uh, you know, I I always hesitate to use the word lock when it comes to NCAA tournament stuff this far out because, in my opinion, a lock literally can be defined as regardless of circumstance and all the other things that happen around you, you can afford to lose every single game, even if that is – 99.999% 99.999% unlikely, doesn't matter. You can lose every single remaining game and you will still be in the NCAA tournament, no questions asked. No team is close to a lock. But Maryland will be tracking toward lock-ish status with a road win against a Michigan State team that we talked about metrics darlings earlier in the podcast. Michigan State has remained that for most of the season and it has, it has had the wins to sustain that overall. One other quick side note, random on Michigan State. I, I keep hearing this like, oh, school record, 19 straight Big Ten wins and the context is that it's regular season. This team lost in the Big Ten tournament last season. Like, I watched it happen. So, yes, it is an, a great feat for MSU. You've won 19 straight against Big Ten competition in the regular season. That's great, but this has not been consecutive. You lost against a conference opponent in the postseason last year. I've heard it referenced like four times on TV, and I'm like, am I going crazy here? Regardless, I'm way in on MSU and believe that. I do believe MSU is better than Michigan, by the way. I think Michigan State will win this game against Maryland, hope it's a good one, uh, and has a chance, I think, to be pretty high scoring overall. Your definition of a lock, by the way, is ridiculous. That's just the way I do, man. I'm, I'm, I'm extreme. GP, I, I totally, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that. I am, I always have been super litigious about this. I don't know why. I just, uh, to me, like, there's, there's, who's a lock right now? Like, if Virginia literally lost every single game for the rest of the yeah, season. Except, like, here's what I think a lock is. Okay, because I know what you mean. It's not like I'm confused by what you're saying. I just think that's a, a and like, listen, we're not going to fight over this. It's so, such a minor thing. Um, but I, I, to me, a lock is, like, there's just, there's no realistic way this team's not going to be in the NCAA tournament. Because, like, Virginia, because your idea of a lock is, well, if Virginia lost every game going forward, they wouldn't be in, which is obviously technically true, but there's no realistic way Virginia's going to lose every game going forward. And so my my definition of a lock is um, there's just no realistic way this team will miss the NCAA tournament. And if you apply that, then I think there's a whole bunch of locks for the NCAA tournament right now. There are. There are, if you do that. I just think when you start doing that, Parrish, then you start floating. Lock. Yeah. Duke's a lock. Virginia's a lock. Tennessee's a lock. Yeah. No, I mean that's you can do that. You just this is really this is better safe for like February. But that you you start floating into an area where it's like okay, well you know maybe this team yes, maybe this team no. Listen, it's one of my weird hangups. We all have them. It is what it is. Well, You've got your you- top twenty-five and one guidelines. <laughs> this is my one. Okay, this is my one. Okay, how about this for five hundred dollars? Would you allow me to pick 10 of my lots, and i got to hit on all 10 of them, and if I do, you owe me $500? What? There's no shot because I, I'm not disagreeing with you in principle. I'm just saying this is one of my weird, weird hang-ups. But if you were to take, what, Virginia, Duke, Gonzaga, Tennessee, that's four, Michigan, five, 
Um, can uh, yeah, Kansas six. Uh, say Michigan State seven. I'll like, take Kentucky. Yeah, no, these teams are gonna make the tournament. I'm not saying that they're, they're not gonna they're make locks. it. They're locks. By your definition, they they are locks. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I'll take a Nevada. I could get to ten pretty easily. Nevada. It pulled away from Air Force late Saturday night, but it was. Uh, they're gonna get in, but they are they're kind of flirting with too much fire but right now I, in a battle. I take league. ten, but I only eight can come inside. I have to take no. I can eight, you take eight, no. any I want, and two have to come from outside of the top twenty-five right now. Oh, outside of the top twenty-five. Yeah. Uh, see, five hundred to you is not five hundred to me, though. Thousand dollars. <laughs> Can't do it. For Can't. five million dollars. <laughs> yeah. This is where my background as a doctor helps me because I've built up a lot of wealth being a yeah uh, a licensed physician for so long. <laughs> and yet you don't have a stethoscope. That's the tragedy of it all. It um, makes sense. Doesn't even make sense. Who you're taking Michigan State? Yeah, I'll take yeah. Michigan State to win that game as well. But um, I'm looking forward to that game. I will be, uh, I imagine, sitting in a hotel room in New York City, watching Maryland, Michigan State. The other one that's interesting: Virginia Tech at North Carolina. Those teams are number eight and number ten in the top twenty-five and one. Poor Buzz Williams had to go to Virginia last Tuesday. Now on this Monday, he's at North Carolina. That ain't easy. As they say, the schedule makers didn't do him any favors. I cannot wait to see what you do with North Carolina when it loses this game. Will it go up to number eight? <laughs> I'm going to move them up just to piss off Kentucky fans. Uh, it can lose this game, by hey, the way. Now, uh, yeah. Hey, listen up, Kentucky fans. North Carolina loses to Virginia Tech. I'm dropping you two spots. Uh, Parrish, like, you do have a real integrity to your rankings, but if you did it even for a day to just to troll, <laughs> and it's particularly for the, the, the those who don't cross over between reading it and listening to the podcast, even though there are very few of that, I would hope, it would be <laughs> – the response would be volcanic. Um, UNC pulled away, got a road win at Miami – uh, needed it. Wasn't great uh, the previous Tuesday when it won against uh, Notre Dame at home, a shorthanded Notre Dame team. Virginia Tech can win this game. I really want to take the Hokies here. Um, you know what? What the hell? Going to ride with it. This is, I think this is my most intriguing of the three to watch because Virginia Tech, I still feel like people aren't as all in on them. But they've been good despite the fact that they haven't had a full roster yet. And Alexander Walker is a legit player, man. I would love to see. It'd be great if, if for whatever reason him and Nasir Little, if Little can even get on the floor even more. Had some nice head-to-head battles in this one. I'll take Virginia Tech and a squeaker. Why not? Give me him like 80-77. Uh, this is one where I was uh, – I guess it was Friday night in Chapel Hill. I went out uh, and met up with. Uh, Dane O'Neill and Pat Forty, uh, our old friend Andrew Carter, uh, nice. and, and so I, we were talking about all of this kind of stuff, just you know, social media and you know the pushback from fans and the things that they get aggravated by, so on and so forth. And one of the things I was explaining was people think that I root against teams or root for teams. I really just root for whatever can make it the, the next morning's update of the top twenty-five and one simplest. Like that's it. Like I love Buzz. Everybody, I love Buzz Williams. Um, but like, I, it's just easier for the top 25 and one if North Carolina wins the game. Cause I don't have to, you know what? Cause so I don't have to hear about it from Kentucky fans. Cause you have like, you might think this is a made up thing. This is a hundred percent. When North Carolina plays Virginia tech, if Virginia tech beats North Carolina, 
Kentucky fans will immediately start tweeting me. Oh yeah, they can't wait. Like they they they, they think of me immediately. Not all of them, obviously. Most of them probably don't even know who I am. But like there is a there will be Kentucky fans tweeting me. Oh, so where are you going to have North Carolina now? Put them in the top five, Parrish. <laughs> it'll, it'll just be re- like uh, so. I so now so now I I have to sit there and root for North Carolina, not because I love North Carolina or not because I'm anti Virginia Tech, but because it's easiest on my life. Go Tar Heels. <laughs> okay, I'm taking the Tar Heels. Go Tar Heels. By the way, North Carolina, um, eight and four against top one hundred. Zero sub thirty losses. They've won six of their last seven, and yet people think they suck. Yeah, I know. I hear you, it all. you sang this song like three times on the podcast, Parrish. Like, I what? Know. Why do people think that team sucks? Because they got run off their own court by Louisville. That's part of it. Yeah, it was the worst home loss ever under Roy Williams. So that that is <laughs> that is factoring into this. Yes, I admit that was bad. All right, <laughs> even as a North Carolina homer, I can admit that that was a rough weekend for Roy. It was. It was. That that should be a good one. And that's a pretty nice Monday night overall. Three good ones. Three quality games to kick off the week, as uh, as we you know turn toward the uh, the second of three stages of conference play around the sport. Yeah, I don't know if I actually gave a prediction as much as I gave a hope. Other predi- I think North Carolina wins that game at home. If you played that game at Virginia Tech. Um, I, I don't think there's much difference between Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Obviously, difference in personnel, difference in style, but difference in quality of team. I think they're both second-tier ACC teams behind Duke and Virginia. So um, I, I just go with the home team. This game's going to be played in Chapel Hill. I'll take uh, I'll take uh, the Tar Heels over Virginia Tech. Is that it? Is that it? Anything else? Uh, I'm actually going to a Division One basketball game on Monday. If- what are you doing? What are you doing that for? Yeah, why not? Because I because I happen I happen to live 15 minutes from Sacred Heart, and I've never been to Sacred Heart's uh, arena. Uh, frankly, because the team just it just it's just never good. But um, happen to know the staff, and they have been on me to get to a game. I I have no excuse, Parish. I I I live obscenely close to a Division One program, and I and I never swing by there. This is the fr- I I can almost guarantee you, this is the first time. The Sacred Heart. Can you even tell me their nickname? Trivia time. No cheating. The Sacred Heart Pioneers. Come on, dude. Get the F out of my face with this. How the hell did you know that? They're the pioneers. They're the pioneers of the Northeast Conference. Zero percent chance I believe you looked that you knew that without looking that up. I'll be honest with you. When you initially started looked, uh, talking about Sacred Heart, I immediately just pulled up their page. Yeah. Just so I, I wouldn't, if you asked me a question, I wouldn't sound ridiculous. Like, um, so who's Sacred Heart's best player? Like, I don't know who Sacred Heart's best player is. They are hosting Wagner oh. in a barn burner of a Northeast Conference uh, t- uh, tilt. It actually is a mid-afternoon MLK Day game, so have the uh, flexibility to go in, sw- swing by. And you know what? Uh, just I do like to try and get into as many D1 gyms as possible. Haven't been to this one. I'm long overdue. So I will be taking in that before the night of big games. Otherwise, man, I am uh, I am free and clear, and we will we will chat again on I would think Wednesday morning, barring any well, last week that we did a surprise Tuesday pod, but we're not expecting anything emergency wise to uh, to jump our schedule. So I think we'll talk to everyone Wednesday. What's the one college basketball place you've never been you still want to go to? If you could only do one. Um, when you say that, Gonzaga pops in my head. But it's I, great. Yeah, that's probably now there are there are many that I want to get to. 
But, like, I haven't been to Rupp yet, but everyone says Rupp is huge, old, little antiquated, like, go there, whatever. But it's just, you know, you don't there, need to go there. It, so. Rupp is just big. Yeah. It's just big and with a lot of people, but I don't um, – like, at Cameron is super cool. Yeah. Um, Allen Fieldhouse is super cool. Gonzaga is super cool. I think Indiana's Assembly Hall is great. Yes. Rupp is for whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to pile on Kentucky fans. Um, it's an amazing scene because there's so many people there watching a basketball team that they live and die for. But uh, I don't get the same feeling walking in Rupp that I get walking in Allen Fieldhouse or Cameron uh, or a few of the others. Yep. The, Gonzaga's my one. And then on the lower level, just because it's – and I, I would assume it's the same way this season, even though the team isn't quite as good as it's been in seasons past. Um, Grand Canyon has built up a, a tremendous reputation in the past three or four years of being just – an insane madhouse of of a mid major gym. So I just want to, at some point, hopefully get to experience that because they have uh, they've gone all in. So that's a, that's an under the radar pick. I think the one uh, the ones I've never been to that I'd like to get to is Iowa State. Mm-hmm. I've never. It's obviously great. I've never been to Arizona. I have I mean, a gener- been, yeah. I have been either. to Arizona, yeah. but I've never been to a game at the McKell Center. Yeah, I've never been there either. I have a I have a curiosity about that. That'd be on my that easily be on my top ten. But I, I would pick others before that one. But sure, I've never been to the Palestra. Palestra is awesome. Have been there. Um, it, it, it's sort of like go there. It's like a, it's like a it's 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 great. But it is definitely those who hold it in such high esteem are are like the music purists of college basketball. I feel it is awesome. I loved it. Um, but I could see that knowing you, maybe you go to it. You're like this was this was good. This was cool. But like you know, it's 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 not the greatest. Yeah, I still it's a historic place. I, w- I would like to go to a game uh, there, and I've never been to the pit. Haven't been to the pit. Yeah, that's that's another one. We should uh, when we're when we are just dying of hunger for off-season podcast content. Maybe we uh, maybe we compile a top top ten or fifteen or so. A listener, take a note. Remind us in like the middle of May to do this, and we genuinely will probably do it because we'll be searching for stuff. There is no question. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Lar now. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably if you can, if you don't mind. And leave a nice comment if you got a couple of minutes. It really doesn't even take a couple of minutes. We're talking about a couple of seconds. So if you've already done that, thank you. It does make a huge difference. And it is um it is the best way to ensure you get the latest episodes in your phones as quickly as possible. If you haven't done it yet, uh, if you got a couple of minutes, please go do it. We'd appreciate it. We will talk to you again uh, on Wednesday. Till then. Take care.